Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Ajeline. And I'm Gracie. And this podcast is called The Feminist Critique, where we talk about movies, we put them to both the feminist and inclusive tests, and then we ask the most important question, is it good? And sometimes those things are not mutually exclusive. But before we get started, Ashley is going to give us a little uh, information about this promotion that we've been doing all month. Exactly. So we've been part of a promotion called hashtag two pods a day. I'm doing this hashtag with my hands. And uh, this um, introduces podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for the month of July. And uh, this is part a way to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard anything about, including ours. Maybe that's how you found us, which is pretty cool. So uh, thank you for listening because, you know, without you guys, like, why would we be doing a podcast, right? So uh, again, two pods a day encourages you to listen more and to listen indie. And there's plenty of pretty amazing podcasts that are being featured this month. So you should definitely go and check those out. All you have to do is follow hashtag two pods a day on both Twitter and Facebook. All right. Oh, oh, and I did did want to say one more thing. Um, I wanted to send a big thank you out to Josh uh, Hallmark, who has been putting two hashtag two pods a day. Uh, together because without him it like this it wouldn't have happened so that's it's pretty awesome of him yeah he's great yep all right now it is guilty pleasure movie month and today we are doing mommy dearest which is a movie from 1981 it's most famous for the line Wire hangers. Yeah. That was a very terrible impression. Yes, you did, but hey, <laughs> so did Faye Dunaway. And that's <laughs> the tea. Mm, and that's the tea. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go through some stats real quick, and then we will actually start talking about the movie. Um, it had a budget of $5 million, and it had a box office of about $25 million. It was directed by Frank Perry, who also directed a movie called Diary of a Mad Housewife. It was written by so many people. Frank Havlins, um, Tracy Hotchner, and Robert Getchell. Uh, the only one that actually had a lot of writing experience was Robert Getchell, and he wrote This Boy's Life, oh, also, which is that Robert um, De Niro movie. Also Frank with- Perry... Uh, wrote the screenplay as well. Yeah, he directed and he wrote it. Yeah. Um, and Frank Havlins was also a producer and was the former president of Paramount Pictures, which uh, was the company that released the film. Um, it was based on the book by Christina Crawford. It starred Faye Dunway as Joan Crawford. She was known for movies like Thomas Crown Affair and Bonnie and Clyde. Diana Scarwood plays Christina Crawford. She's been in movies like What Lies Beneath and Pretty Baby. Um, If you don't know what Pretty Baby is, it is a Brooke Shields movie where she is like 11 or 12 years old and plays a prostitute. Like, she's literally 11 or 12. Oh, really? Yes. 
Like, it's not graphic, but there's a lot of implied shit in it that's just like, holy fuck. Oh, yeah. That was like a really um, controversial movie when it came out in the day. Yeah. And it's probably something we'll do for our controversial movie month, which won't come out till next year. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have Steve Forrest as Greg Sabat, and he was in movies like The Longest Day. So, not a whole bunch of big heavy hitters. Faye Dunaway is basically the big, huge name to come out of this production. Um, no one really had a good career after this movie. Uh, not even Faye. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, um, even, like, the kids or whatever, they didn't... They no. weren't in much afterwards. Like, the latest one, that the one playing the little girl... Uh, she was in a movie in 2008. Which, yeah. yeah. I think the Rotten Tomatoes score on this is like 56, so it's kind of above what we're supposed to be doing this month. Like, we were looking for 50 and under. But because this movie has such a cult following, and, uh... It also know, won, considered... like, Razzie Awards. It did. It won the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture, um, but it's also one of the highest rated films on, uh, like, IMDb. Like, it has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, but also the Golden Raspberry yeah. Award winner. So, it's interesting. Um, it's listed among the top 10 best bad films that have ever made, uh, that ever, you know, got a Golden Raspberry, you know. Yeah. So. And it was the first one to actually sweep. It got the Golden Raspberry for five wins, including Worst Picture, three out of the four Worst Acting Awards, and it had nine record nominations at the time. So it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. So that makes it that makes it worthy of us talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So um. So it starts off. Uh, now, this is um, about Joan Crawford, right, who is an absolute famous um, Hollywood actress, like Hollywood royalty, right? Yeah, one, um, of the, one of the original, like, big megastars, like Carol Lombardi and Clark Gable, you know, yeah. like she's in that area of actresses and actors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, so this was based off of, you know, like we said, um, the memoir and expose done by her adopted daughter, uh, Christina Crawford. Um, and uh, like there's a th there's a lot of stuff uh, in this movie um, and there's a lot of things in the book that are a little bit different, but we'll get into yeah, that a little uh, bit later. The disclaimer is is that the only thing Christina did with this movie, Christina Crawford, was uh, sign the rights over to the people that did it. She had absolutely no say in the script or what went into the movie or not. So a lot of it is a little bit dramatized. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I'm got a little bit of a cold. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's also the fact that like, yeah, she in interviews afterwards, she would say that like nothing was like, you know, her experiences. And the only thing they got right was the makeup. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. So, movie opens, and what you notice about Joan very quickly is that she, at least in the movie, at least in the movie, she's very perfect and orderly. She scrubs the floors herself. She, t- like, takes the utmost care of her appearance, um, you know, and she has this very handsome uh, boyfriend, and, um, you know, they talk about how, you know, she's having trouble getting an adoption because back then, uh, which this is true, uh, women who were divorced could not adopt. Mm. Yeah. So she's twice divorced. She lives alone. And so her boyfriend helps her get an adoption. And the way they did that was basically by buying the children. Yeah. That was the only way. Like, this is true. Like, she had to literally, like, kind of backdoor adoption it and then get the paperwork done after she already had the kid. Yeah. So, um, it was just a, a case of, like, um, you know, an unwed mother or whatever, which, um, would not want the child. And then, you know, they'd, like, you know, go to the hospital and be like, well, we can, you know, give your child an amazing life. And yeah. So that's... And then you just hoped that it was true because you didn't fucking know. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. So, um, so that's, that's how it starts, you know, that, uh, she, she wants a child and she ends up, uh, she ends up getting a child. Now there's a few things that you kind of see at the beginning of the movie. Like, uh, she has a new maid who, um, thinks that the living room is spotless but you know there's like a minor detail that was overlooked and um joan loses her temper over it yeah she's she's like i i don't want to use the word oc or the expression ocd but like Based on what I know of scientifically of what OCD is, she seems like she might have it. Of course, I am not a doctor. <laughs> but, like, obsessive compulsory disorder is, you know, where you have rituals and you have very specific things that need to be done. And if they are not done, then you, like, really devolve, you know, dissolve into, like, your entire world is chaos, you know? Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me, especially with some of her erratic behavior when something doesn't go right or to her, like, order of things. Yeah, exactly. So um, now she's in this relationship with uh, the the handsome guy is actually uh, a Hollywood lawyer and um, her career is kind of in a downward swing and. Um, and uh, despite wanting a baby, she also can't get pregnant. She apparently had had seven pregnancies uh, when she was married to actor. Um, God, I can't say his name. Uh, Frank Tone. I think that's right. Oh, <laughs> <But> whatever. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. He's not in the movie. No, he's not. But anyways, but it had ended in miscarriages. So that's, she kind of mentions that. So, um. You know, she's denied the uh, adoption and uh, she gets help and she adopts uh, first Christina. Right. And then like later Mm -hmm. on, she ends up adopting uh, her second child, Christopher. Now, she like 
you know, gives Christina tons of attention and luxuries, such as, you know, big birthday parties, right? Yeah. And, like, you see this one birthday party she has, uh, you know, and it's almost like she's jealous that Christina's getting more attention than she is. Yeah. And then after the birthday party's over... Um, what she did, this was actually true, at least according to the book, what she did was, after all the presents um, were given, uh, the children would pick one toy and then the rest would be donated. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, happens early on is uh, Uncle, whatever his name, her boyfriend, that's what Christina calls him, is Uncle something. His name uh, is Greg uh, Savit. Savage? Yeah, she calls him Uncle Greg. Savage. Yeah. Um, she calls him Uncle Greg. Anyway, she does, Christina wants to keep a doll. And then Uncle, Uncle Greg comes in with a really pretty gold bracelet. And so Joan's like, well, I guess we can, you know, let you have it this time. But you can see there's almost like a contentious relationship already developing between Christina and Joan. And Christina's only like four at this point. Yeah. Um, another thing that happens after this is when, like, they're at the pool and Joan is pushing Christina to do all this work. Like, Christina is so exhausted and she's at the pool and she's having issues breathing. And then Joan's like, well, let's race, you know? And then she... <laughs> and I'll give and you a head start. The... Hmm? And she'll give, uh... She'll give a head start, right? Yeah. During the race. Yeah, exactly. And then Christina loses, and she's like, it's not fair. You're bigger than me. And Joan goes, well, life's not fair, you know. And, and that and, is also partially from um, what is kind of known from Joan Crawford's own childhood. Um, she, you also have to think that Joan Crawford came up through the movie business at a time where you know, there was probably a lot of um, rampant sexism. And, uh, I mean, we're seeing it now, the Me Too mo- movement, right? But just think about it, in the 1920s and 30s, like, there was a lot of, you know, cases of the casting couch, right? Exactly. So- and, like, Joan had a reputation for getting around. Yeah. Um, and she also hated that she was not highly educated, uh, she, I don't even think she had graduated high school. Well, I think there was know? also the, the like her parent, um, I guess her mother or something was really poor. Um, yeah, like they grew, she grew up like scraping, you know, the bottom of the barrel. And so you can kind of understand why she has this very, very rough, tough kind of personality because, you know, she's a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and she probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but she knew what she wanted and she was going to get it. I can at least say that much. Yeah. You know? Um, but anyway, she tells Christina that, you know, life's not fair. Well, Christina gets upset about it and starts crying and then like they get into a little tiff and then she locks Christina in the pool house. Yeah. 
And then there's kind of like a weird cut in the movie where I'm thinking, Jesus, like she's going for a run or something. And I'm thinking, Jesus, is Christina still locked in the pool house? Like, how long has that child been locked in the fucking pool house? Yeah, I, I needed to know this, too. I was like, is she just in the pool house for the rest of the movie? Because holy shit. Yeah. Um, so... And basically what we see for the first hour of the movie is, like, a lot of contention between little Christine and her mother. Um, Like, there's that one scene where Joan walks in to find Christine's playing around at her makeup vanity. Yeah. You know? Like, she's doing an Oscar speech or something. And, like, Joan grabs the scissors and just starts fucking cutting all of her hair off losing her goddamn mind about it and saying something to the effect of, like, you you can go to school and you won't look like a tramp. I can't having them thinking I spoil you. Like, the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's, uh... Holy shit. Yeah, like, and this is the kind of thing that wouldn't necessarily be called child abuse, but, like, obviously that is having a psychological effect uh, on Christina in the movie. Well, I mean, it would be considered child abuse now. Yeah, but, like, social services would not take your child away because you cut their hair like that. You know, that's the thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's... That's a thing, though, like, that's emotional abuse. Yeah, that's harder to uh, pin down. <laughs> yeah, and I and Ashley and I, Ashley and I have our own little horror stories to tell Ooh, you later when we get yeah. to that certain scene. <laughs> yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> um, so Joan, like, she loses her fucking mind about it. Yeah. Um, and then she and her boyfriend Greg get into a fight because they go out to dinner and Greg doesn't wait on her to finish her autographs. He just goes inside and the um, director of MGM is there, like the head, the CEO, whatever. And so he sits down with him, smokes a cigarette, drinks some wine and everything. And when Joan sweeps in, you know, he introduces them and everything and they're like, oh yeah, why don't you sit with us? And it's very, like if she doesn't sit with them, it's gonna, you know, heads will roll kind of thing. And so she's forced to sit down with these greasy old men. And then afterwards, her and Greg have a huge fight about it. And, like, I could kind of see where she was coming from, but I also saw his point of view on the matter. (laughs) Well, there's also the case of, like, again, um, I want to say that this is, like, the 40s at this point, right? Or maybe the late 30s. So, Joan has been in the movie business at this point for, what, 18 years? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's been a long time. She's done her time. She's doing, you know, movies. Uh, she's a huge, she's a huge star, right? But she's um, no longer a box office draw. Yeah. That's the issue. So, she knows that her career is on the line. And when... The president of the company that owns your contract says, I insist that you sit down to dinner with me. You don't really have a fucking choice if you're trying to save your career. She knows that. But then she and Greg have that huge fight about it, and, like, it gets physical between both of them. And 
then Greg says, fuck it. I'm done. I'm gone. Well, like, you she know, throws like, a drink in his face after he tells her that she's getting old. Which it was true. <laughs> well, like, at that point, she was, uh, what, in her 40s? Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, that's... 40s is, like, 80 in golden Hollywood era, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well exactly so, heck it's like basically 80 now right i mean unless you have a really good established career like drew barrymore and then you just do a television show well was <laughs> who was it uh maggie gyllenhaal who was like 37 at the time and uh she was cat or she was trying to get a part to be like this guy's wife in a movie um, who was like in his 50s or like 60s and they were like oh no you're too old and I was like what, what like and that's true though like there are Hollywood. a lot well we're seeing a lot like what there was that one movie that had uh Margot Robbie in it and Will Smith well Will Smith's like in his at least what almost 50 like he had to Margo, be in his 40s and Margot is like not even mid 30s or she she might be now but she wasn't when that movie was made. oh no she was in her 20s at that time like she was in yeah. her 20s or just and like he had to be played, in her 40s it's just like she played leonardo leonardo dicaprio's wife in wolf of wall street and leonardo dicaprio was like 50 now yeah or so, close to it like holy yeah. shit <laughs> so this is something that is it, it's not new this isn't a new thing with, like, you know, women in Hollywood, once they reach a certain age, we, like, you know, see this blossoming career, right? And then, holy shit, they hit 35, and it's like, see a Jennifer Lawrence? Like, who the fuck are you now? Oh, you're not playing someone's mother? Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was You're insane. not allowed to be sexy. Which was, I was very surprised that they're actually doing a movie for Netflix. I think it's already come out where Lucy Liu, Lucy Liu is 50 years old. Yeah. But she's playing a sexy business lady who gets like set up with this guy, like, and they're age appropriate for each other. Like, I know that like, that's kind of ageist to say, but like, you know, normally in films, like if the guy is older, the girl is much younger. But in this case, they both seem to be about the same age. Which is kind of nice. And she's not playing like a mom. She's playing, but she is playing the trope of cold business lady who had no life. But there's also the case that it's a TV show, right? On Netflix? It's a movie. Oh, okay. Well, still, Netflix is breathing more life into the actual, you know, and like giving some people some fucking jobs, which is kind of nice, right? Yeah. Because, like, you know. It's been a while since we saw Drew Barrymore in anything until, you know, that... Santa Clarita. I haven't watched it. It looks gross. And, like, I think it's a zombie thing, which... No, thank you. Sorry, I don't like zombies. It's not my thing. But, like, a lot of people think it's really funny. So, love (laughs) Love uh, Drew Barrymore, though. She's the best. She's Um, the queen. (laughs) Okay, so, so we don't get too sidetracked. Um... So then I think she's the next, well, she's yeah, called into the, that uh, into the office, right? With the uh, with the leader well, of um, of MGM, who is uh, Louis B. Mayer. Well, right before that, Joan catches Christina talking to her dolls. 
Oh, yeah. You know? Like, she had, like, before that business meeting with him, she, you know, told the kids, be quiet, I'm trying to sleep. And, like, they wouldn't be. Yeah. And, like, she catches Christina in her room, like, she's in trouble. So she tells Christina, go to your room and be quiet until I tell you to. So Christina's in her room, and when Joan walks past, Christina is talking to her doll, and she's basically repeating the shit that Joan has said to her. Like, you've been very bad. You've kept Mommy up all day, and she has a very important meaning. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh... And then Joan takes her fucking dolls away and is like, well, they won't bother you anymore since they were so bad. Like, that was a bitch move. Yeah. Um, there's also the case, too, that um, after Greg breaks up with Joan, she starts cutting out the pictures of him. Like, yeah. And, like, you know, ripping them up and stuff. So um, now... She goes into uh, into the office, right? And the way she's kind of treated is very, like, I mean, she's, she sees herself as, like, you know, being a higher commodity, right? Then Oh, oh, which, yeah. And he, like, says, oh, you're a great asset to this company. Like, we love you. You know, you are Hollywood royalty. But we're going to fire you. Yeah, because like, you're box office poison. Ugh. Yeah. So they fire her after 18 years, which is like, I think she had a 20-year contract or something at that point. Like, she still had two or three years left on her contract. And uh, they were like, oh, we're just going to, you know, pay out your contract, you know, because it'd be cheaper than spending all this money on you when you're not drawing anybody in. So, yeah, so she actually ends up hacking down her prize rose garden uh, with, you know, a pair of large gardening shears. And then, like, she, um, there's, like, a tree in the garden and she takes an axe to it to, like, you know, chop it down while the kids are all out. And she's like, come on, help me, you know, ruin this rose garden because, you know, we're moving this out is, of this house. And, this like... This is one of those... This is one of those scenes where Faye Dunaway just overacted to the max... <laughs> This whole fucking movie, she overacted in some parts where like, it was like, Jesus Christ. The less Christ. that woman, y'all, she studied so hard for this role. Yeah. She was 100% sure she was going to get an Oscar nomination. <laughs> like, Faye Dunaway thought this was the role of a lifetime, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as the movie came out and the critics started panning it, she wanted nothing at all to do with it. No, she was so embarrassed. She would not talk about it for years. She would walk out. She would walk out on interviews if someone brought it up. Really? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, so, it took a like a huge, uh, like heavy emotional toll on her. Yeah. Like that's what she's claimed, right? So yeah. <clears throat> anyways, so then the next scene is. Well, my absolute favorite. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. And that well, is... No. What? No. Remember she oh. got the new contract and then she won an Oscar? And like no, she no, had no. said... Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember Yeah, now. so this is something that Joan had actually said in real life. And she's like, if they nominate for me for an Oscar and I win, I'm not going to be there. Because fuck that noise like fuck that entire industry i should have been nominated two or three times before right 
So she gets nominated for her work in Mildred Pierce. Which was a fantastic movie where she did, like, it it was, it's considered, like, a classic at this point, you know? Hell, they redone it. I honestly think when we do Oscar movies next month, we'll probably do something besides Best Picture, just so we can do that movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But... Anyway, so she wins the Oscar and everything. Everything's hunky-dory, you think, right? You know, she's won an Oscar. Yeah. Um, and then one night she walks into Christina and Christopher's room because they share a room. Christopher gets tied to the bed. I, they never explain oh, why. Oh, the reason gets... for that was because um, he actually sleepwalks, I guess. That would make sense. I didn't understand why he was strapped to the bed. Yeah, so he's <laughs> strapped to the bed so that he doesn't sleepwalk. Now, yeah, so she ends up slathering her face in cold cream, right? And then she goes, you know, into Christina and Christopher's bedroom in the middle of the night and to, like, return a dress to the closet. And she finds, like, one of the other dresses hanging by a wire hanger. Now, there's a reason why she's actually upset by this. Um, And it was explained in an interview by Christina And the reason for it is because, I guess, when Joan was a young, like, a girl, um, her father had left the the family. So they actually lit, her mother was, um, like, worked in a laundry, like, behind. And they actually, like, lived at the laundry in one of the rooms, like, all together, her and her family. And um, they used to have to hang the laundry on wire hangers and i guess that's the reason why she hated them so much was because it was like a sign of her being poor again or something yeah when she can afford these nice fancy hangers yeah. like everybody uses plastic hangers or now. wire hangers now and it's no big deal but back then if you had wire hangers it meant you were dirt poor yeah you know yeah exactly. so anyway this is the scene uh where she takes the wire hanger out and wakes Christina up and then beats the shit out of her with the wire hanger talking about how she hates them. Well, yeah, she starts, like, taking, yanking dresses and stuff out of the closet and she's like, Christina, wake up, right? And the little girl, you know, wakes up and she's like, oh, shit, mom's, like, fucking pissed over something. Holy shit. Right. Um, Because, you know, especially when you're in that tired state, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, And her mom's just screaming at her and saying, like, how dare you put your dresses on these wire hangers? I, you know, hundred dollar dresses, two hundred, three hundred dollar dresses. And they're fucking on a wire hanger. Like, how fucking dare you? Right. And she starts throwing them all over the room. And then she takes the wire hanger because she finds one more in the closet. Right. And she starts beating Christina with the hanger. And that yeah, part and is like, that was the one then, that had me shook. Yeah. And then she walks away from Christina cool, to cool off in the bathroom. She's kind of crouching in the bathroom, tells Christina to clean it up. So Christina's like, yes, mommy, I'll do it. And as Christina is cleaning it up, Joan comes out of the bathroom and asks her, did you clean this bathroom floor? And Christina, Christina says, yes, Mommy, I cleaned it. I, I promise. I did exactly what you told me to. 
And Joan, like, drags her into the bathroom, and she starts, like, putting her hands on the floor, and you're like, you see this? And there's nothing on her hands. Yeah. You know? But she's saying, you see this? You see how dirty this floor is? And then she takes it to the sink. You see how dirty this is? And then she grabs some, like, powder cleaner and, like, throws it everywhere and then starts beating Christina with the powder cleaner can. And then after she's left this mess of destruction, she tells Christina to clean it up. Like, and then she walks away. And then the little... And, like... Yeah. People fucking laugh at this? Like, this is supposed to be... Like, this is the scene where they, like, put it on, you know, it's one mother of a... One mother of something. Like, the taglines for the movie, when they realized that it was getting panned, they kind of did it as a dark comedy. But, like, this was one of the things that was supposed to be funny. Okay, so... Uh, For a second. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. You're fine. So... The reason why it's seen as funny, which um, what I I had a very strange reaction because like it triggered me slightly, but it also watching fucking Faye Dunaway's performance was like holy fucking shit. She thought she was doing an amazing job here, right? So she's got this cold cream all over her face and, like, there's, like, this red shit around her lips. She looks like she's a fucking ghoul. Like, she looks horrendous in this moment, right? So that's why it's, like, I found it funny because I was, like, holy fuck. She really just... Yeah, like, if you set aside what's happening in the scene and you just look at her makeup, like, she fucking is scary as hell. Yeah. like, in a funny way. But outside of that, like... The actual experience of, like, the idea that, like, holy shit, she's having a, you know, massive reaction over her daughter. Like, the actual situation is kind of fucking sad, but the acting is what makes it so fucked up and like any I don't know I I just have like a dark humor so I was just like fuck this is like not great like the fucking the I don't know man the fucking little girl screaming like obviously she wasn't getting hit like she wasn't a good actress either it's like no mommy no I'm so sorry like so like that's where I'm coming from when I laugh at it because I'm like, man, the acting's so bad. But then the but actual guess, situation you, is not funny guess, at all. I guess you have to laugh though because like for me, like I watched that scene. I'd never seen this movie before yeah. we watched it for this podcast. I'd never seen it. Okay. So I didn't know anything about it except that it had that wire hanger scene. But I'd never seen any clip or anything like that before, and um. So I'm watching this and I'm horrified because um, as someone who had a childhood like that, that was not at all funny to me. I was just like, holy shit. Oh my God. It brought like flashbacks. Like I remember one time my mom woke me up in the middle of the night because I've been the cook for my family since I was nine years old because my mom is disabled and my dad, he didn't really used to work. He was, like, he worked, but he was a functioning alcoholic. So, like, it was me taking care of my mom from the time I was nine years old. Holy and, uh, at least cooking. And I remember I was, like, 14 or something, and we were staying at this house, and my mom got up in the middle of the night to get something out of the kitchen, and there was a dirty dish in the sink. 
because I had let a pot soak. And she came in my room and woke me up, and she lost her mind over it. And I had a Dell, silver Dell laptop, and she, like, took the laptop from me and just, like, beat it up against the wall. She said, I paid for it, and now it's broke. Like, I'm just giving you little details of what happened, but, like, it scared the living shit out of me. All over a dirty pot. So, I was with Christina in that scene. No, I... You know, I've well, been there. <laughs> well, like, after watching that scene, like, the whole scene, I also had, like, kind of that weird flashback or, like, triggered moment because growing up, my... I have a very complicated relationship with my mother to this day. Um, and I mean, you know, she had her own issues and that's all I can really say about it. But I just, I remember this one time she was out with some friends, right? And we lived, um, like we didn't live in a bad neighborhood or anything, but I decided to lock the door because, you know, it was, it's scary, especially when you're home alone and you're a child. Like I want to say maybe I was 13 or 14. No, I had to be younger. I had to be like maybe 12 or 11. And uh, so, yeah, I locked the door. Right. And. Um, and uh, she came home at night and the door was locked and she couldn't get in because I don't know why she never had a second key, but she just never had a second key. Like it, now that I think about it, that was fucking stupid of her. She got like go buy a fucking another key. Right. Anyways, so she was locked out of the house. She couldn't wake us up because I had already gone to bed, right? So it's like four o'clock in the morning, right? She had went to her car and slept in it, which I guess was super uncomfortable. So she like took mud balls or like rocks or something and threw it at my window. And I was like, what the fuck? And uh, I woke up and like I opened the door, right? Or I opened my window and she's like, Ashley, you open this door right now. And I was like, what? Oh, Okay. So I go downstairs um, and like I had to tiptoe over piles of shit because the dog had like freaked out because somebody was at the door and shit all over the stairways. Right. So here's my mom who's exhausted, pissed off, comes into the house. She starts screeching at me about how like. I locked the door and like, don't lock the door, especially when she goes out because, you know, so this never happens again or whatever. Right. And then she was like, look, the dog shit everywhere. Clean this up. And like, I'm going to bed. And like, that's what happened. Yeah. Like I gave you a mild story, but I probably have like a few more that I will not talk about. Um, like, Ashley knows I have a very complicated relationship with my mother. I love my mom, but I think, Sometimes it is just not healthy. <laughs> I think that's why both me and you bond so well, though, is because, you know, we've had uh, mutual uh, experiences with, you know, issues with our mothers. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's the scene that everybody laughs at and makes fun of, and it was not a fun experience for me. <laughs> yeah. Um... After that scene, Christine gets taken to a boarding school. 
Oh, uh, because Joan just can't deal with her anymore. No, no, no. Because the, there was that, there was that really weird fucking scene, right? With like Joan's new boyfriend or something. Now they don't say who it is, but like Christina's like um, playing like maid or something. I don't know, but she's like, "Can I get you a drink, Mister Whatever?" And he's like, "Um, okay." Right. So uh, he like, you know, she goes and gets the drink and she's like, this is the drink that my uncle always gets. And he's like, I am not your uncle. And the thing (laughs) is, well, like, first of all, Joan would make the children call like her boyfriend's uncle. Right. Which. okay, I guess that's kind of weird. But anyway, so. um. So then there's like that moment where, you know, Christina goes off uh, to make Joan a drink because Joan drinks a lot and uh, she comes back and, you know, Joan is with like this guy and they're having like an intimate moment, like, you know, kissing or whatever. And he's like, we've got company. And uh, that's the part where Joan takes like the drink or whatever. But like she looks at Christina and it's like she doesn't want her there or whatever like she just wants to live her life and fuck whoever she wants christine has become an obstacle for her yeah you know so what she does or christina so what she does is she takes christina to this preparatory school and uh in real life christina went there when i think she was about 10 um so that's that's about how old she is in the movie and then it flashes forward a few years um and Joan has uh gotten no no this is later um anyway Joan picks her up from school for the weekend because at this point technically Christina is only like 13 or 14 no she she Um, had to she had to have been older like I would say she was well no the actress was older but like she was 13 or 14 like when this happened oh okay Um, yeah like the actress looks 20 yeah I think what they were portraying though at the time is she's a teenager so even though the actual event happened when she was 13 I'm gonna say that like they were showing her at like 15 16 at this moment okay that's fair they they don't give us a, a, an age we just know she's a teenager yeah um but anyway uh joan picks christine up from the school and they go uh out to eat lunch and or dinner or something like that and then after all that uh christina's at the house you know, like, doing laundry, and then Joan comes downstairs, and she's sobbing about how, you know, like, she's lost her contract with Warner Brothers, and, you know, financial difficulties, and Christina's like, it's okay, we'll manage, we'll figure it out, um, and, like, basically, Joan said, I won't be able to pay for you to, you know, go to the school anymore, you'll have to do a work-study program, basically be a scholarship kid in order to stay on at Chadwick, and Christina's like, that's fine, Mom. I get it. I understand. We're going through a rough patch. It's all good. Well, there, there's you know? also this little... Oh, shit. I forgot to turn off my phone. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. <laughs> no, it just... It was like a little ding, um, which means somebody messaged me. But anyways, so uh, you did miss that little part um, that, you know, she's interested in this boy, right? And then there's like this other girl here, 
right? Because uh, he's interested in them too. Well, yeah. So Christina's like, you know, at the first was like doing like a monologue or something, and uh, yeah, there's like this boy here, and then the other girls also interested, and they're like all really good friends, right? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so Christina's home for the weekend, and like they have that talk, and she understands. You know, she tells her mom, "I get it." You know, we'll manage. That's what she keeps telling her. So Joan goes upstairs. Well, Christina finishes what she's doing. She goes upstairs, and she finds her mom, like, passed out, not moving on the couch. And she thinks the worst, right? So she calls Carol Ann, which is the housekeeper. Uh, and, like, My mom's the dead. housekeeper's like, huh? Mom's dead. Mom's dead, right? Yeah. I'm finally free. No, um, what? I have to be honest. The housekeeper's name is Carol Ann, right? Yeah. And the way that the actress that plays Christina says her name reminds me of the movie Poltergeist because the child's name is Carol Ann. Oh, really? In that movie. Okay. So every time she would say, Carol Ann, all I could think was, they're here. Fuck. <laughs> I love that movie, but it terrified me as a child. Well, like, I mean... Faye Dunaway did look pretty fucking ghoulish during that one scene, so... At least she didn't suck her into a TV, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so, anyway, it turns out she's not dead. She's just dead drunk. Like, and there's, like, shoe boxes littered everywhere, and... Clothes Christina's and like, stuff. What are all... Yeah, Christina's like, well, what is all this shit? And Caroline's like, oh, that's your mother's stuff, it just came in. And Christina's like, but I don't understand. Mom said we were broke. So, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um. So then it kind of uh, goes, like, she's doing this work program thing right at the school. Um, mm -hmm. Which... Christina is. Yeah, Christina is, right? And, uh, you know, this this boy or whatever, the, the one from, like, before, he's, like, riding a horse, and they're, like, they're flirting, and she's, like, you can't ride a horse, right? But you can fucking ride me. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and then they, like, um, you know, what are you doing after eight? Oh, nothing. Okay, cool. And then they, like, make a little date to have, you know, like, alone time in the barn. Yeah, they're, like, and, gonna uh, kiss and, like... She's going to touch his dick and, like, a little bit of a boob grab. Like, you know, kid stuff. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, heavy petting. That's yeah. what's about to happen. And yeah. then the kind of girlfriend Vera walks in and she's pissed. And she's like, like I'm going to fucking tell on you pieces of shit. I'm going to tell. <laughs> You're in big trouble. Yeah, so... The issue with that is, is um, you know, like, after she gets told on, the Chadwick School, what they do is, because it's it's pretty innocent, you know, it's just, like, two I'm sure it happens all the time. Yeah, like, it's a co-ed boarding school. It's not the first time that shit has happened, okay? Yeah. So, basically, they strip the kids of their privileges, you know, they're basically grounded until, you know, like, a probationary period kind of thing. No big deal. Yeah. Well, Joan finds out, and then Joan comes down to that school, and she loses her fucking mind over it, and she says, I don't know what kind of establishment you're running, but it's basically like a teenage brothel. Yeah. And so she pulls Christine out of the school Yeah. and takes her home. Exactly. Now, 
she explains oh. to Christine that, you know, there's a reporter there from Red Book doing like a puff piece on Joan's home life, right? And that Christina has to, you know, behave, behave. herself, right? But then uh, Joan ends up telling the fucking reporter uh, that Christina had been expelled from Chadwick. Like, what and the Christina's fuck, like, mom? I did not. I, you lying. And then Joan's like, oh, excuse us. And they, like, go into a room, which she's got, like, a really super fucking open door, like, floor plan. So, like, the next room is really just across an open hallway, but whatever. Yeah, um, so... And anyway, her and Christina have a big, huge fight. And then Christina is just, like, fucking fed up. She's like, I don't understand why you're lying. And then, like, after she says that, Joan slaps the fucking shit out of her and then slaps her again and then says... Why do you make me hit you? And yeah. again, this is something that I've kind of gone through in my life before. So I was like, holy shit, this is toxic as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um... It was not. It, like, this, this, this was not a, like, this is supposed to be a guilty pleasure movie. I, I felt no guilt or pleasure. I just felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> um. So then... Uh, yeah so then this is the moment where um christina asks her mom why she was adopted and joan tries to hide the truth from christina and christina's like i am not one of your fans she also asks joan like did you do it for like did you do it like to just get yeah i couldn't say the word sorry yeah Uh, the publicity see couldn't fucking say it (laughs) And Joan says, in part, and then she immediately goes, no, I didn't mean that, I didn't mean that. And then something to the effect of, why can't you give me the respect I'm entitled to or some shit? And, like, some angry words are exchanged, and the next thing you know, Joan is on top of Christina. Well, because, yeah, because Christina had said, I... shit out of her. Yeah, because Christina (laughs) had said, I am not one of your fans. And that's when... Joan like jumps uh like throws Christina to the floor and starts strangling her and uh that's when you know um Carolyn and the reporter Barbara where the part where Joan's like Barbara please like fuck yeah I don't know it was fucking it was fucking bad like yeah it was bad and then after that episode Joan sends Christina to a Catholic convent school um, and the headmistress of it, it has been told that Christina is a terrible child and that for her penance, like, she has absolutely no privileges. The only thing she can do is go to school and pray. That's it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really say anything else about her experience there. It kind of flashes forward again to Joan getting married um, and Christina getting out of the school because she's graduated well yeah Um, so um joan marries alfred Steele, who is the ceo of pepsi cola uh at the time right um so that's uh like that's where that marriage comes from which um yeah yeah and she's a showboat and he's just you know not really a showboat well no i mean like he's uh he's a ceo of a very like a company and uh he's the very company, wealthy 
Well, yeah, and the company was doing pretty well for itself at the time, you know. I mean, it was no yep. Coca-Cola, but... It was doing pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Joan gets married. There is that scene between the Reverend Mother and Christina when she's leaving where you can tell that the Christina and the Reverend Mother have a good relationship. Even though you don't really see it, you can tell that, you know, like, the Reverend Mother understands Christina more. And, like, Christina's become this very docile person, you know, like, almost broken in a way. Yeah. And she comes home and meets Alfred. and uh, He's nice to her. Like, yeah, he's really nice to her. He's a good stepdad, you know. And then what happens is we see basically snapshots, snapshots of Christina as an adult and Joan in this marriage. And one of the scenes that really stood out to me was when they moved, Joan and Alfred moved to New York. Yeah. And got this Fifth Avenue apartment. And they are dolling it up. <laughs> and Christina at this point is living in New York uh, and trying to be an actress. She's doing off-Broadway stuff and uh, stock footage and everything like that. So she's got, you know, jobs. And she's working as a waitress. Um, Christina, you know, sees the apartment and everything. And, you know, she asks Joan, she's like, you know, I'm... I, I'm I'm working hard, but I need a little bit of money to yeah. please help me out. And Joan says, "Absolutely not. No, you're not getting exactly. a, not one cent." Like, and Alfred's like, "Come on, baby, you can, you know, nope, nope. She's got to learn. She's got to do it on her own." So Alfred, you know, sneaks Christina some money, and then he goes back in there and he talks to Joan about how, you know, uh. Like, they have to cut back because they're spending too much on getting this apartment fixed up. And then Joan's like, oh, but we have the money and people expect us to look like this. Like, her daughter can't have any money just to get by, but she can spend all she fucking wants. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That rubbed me so fucking wrong. I was so pissed off. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, so then um, what ends up happening is um, uh, Alfred ends up dying, right? And uh, this, so the all-male, like, board is trying to force, you know, Joan to resign because, you know, uh, there's some debt off of uh, her, her stock, right? But she mm -hmm. tells them, like, she's going to retain her seat by threatening uh, to publicly condemn Pepsi, um, which I think that's something that she, like, actually did, because up until she yeah. died, like, she had stock in Pepsi. Yeah. So that's how she was able to maintain her lifestyle and have money uh, once her career had basically ended. She had ended up doing, like, independent films before she passed away. Yeah, and, like, like, I think one of her, one. yeah, I think her last one was, like, this really bad, some like, Yeti movie or something. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Yes, but I did like that scene because even though I didn't particularly like her character, it was fucking awesome for her to say, I'm the reason this company has anything, and if you guys sell me out, I will fucking end you. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we can uh, negotiate. Um, you know, you, you, you're allowed to stay on. <laughs> yeah. So. 
at least there was that. At least, like, that's the only part of the movie where I rooted for her as a character. Because she was very complex, and, like, I was like, yeah, I get that. Because even now, that's a thing. Like, I think less than 10% of all CEOs are women. Um, so, Christina, you know, has, like, this dingy little apartment, right? And she's acting in a soap opera, um, and this is something that actually happened. So she was hospitalized for um, an ovarian tumor, and uh, she was temporarily replaced on the show by her mother, uh, who yeah. was visibly drunk at the time. And her mother is playing her character. Her character is 28 years and old. And at this point... Joan is in her 60s. And you know what's crazy, though? <laughs> Apparently, during the time that uh, Joan was um, was playing it, the ratings went up. <laughs> yeah, that was basically Christina's only real acting gig, was that. Um, and... Not too much happens after that, and then, like, Joan passes away in the movie. Yeah. I don't think... I can't think of any scene that, like, stands out past that except for Joan's funeral. Um, Well, there was that moment where um, Christina accepted the award for her mother. Oh, yeah, the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, so she accepted it because her mother was sick, and uh, she thought that uh, her and her mother had reconciled like, whatever, you know, differences that they have. And at this point, I think Christina's, like, like in her 30s. Like, she's supposed to be at least in her um, mm-hmm. in her late 30s. And um, yeah. so Joan dies in 1977, where uh, Christina and Christopher learn that uh, they had been disinherited from the will. And uh, Christopher in the movie asks if their mother had managed to have the last word. And then Christina's like, no, not this time. Not this time. And then, yeah, it like pans into (laughs) her face and then like it ends and it's like, oh, and then that bitch wrote a book. Um, Yeah. So Mommy Dearest is considered like the first tell all book about Hollywood. Yeah. You know, Um, there's. There's issues with it. Uh, all right, to give you a little bit of background, like when Christina wrote this book um, and it was published, uh, her sisters, because the only two portrayed in the movie are Chris, Christina and Christopher, but they also had two younger siblings. What's also not mentioned is the fact that there was also another child between Christina and Christopher who was eventually taken back by their birth parents because the birth mother did not sign up for her child to be sold. Yeah. Um, so you have Christina and Christopher, who were the older two. Christina was uh, 10 years old, and the twins were two uh, when she was taken out of the home and sent to that boarding school. Yeah. So she did not really know her younger sisters. Um and so the younger sisters say, Mommy wasn't like that. Like, Joan was not like that with us. Uh, Christina is making it all up. But then there are also people who are on Christina's side, including Christopher, who are saying, 
she didn't make this up. That's how our mom was with us. And it might have been that, you know, I think it's half and half. But the well, only thing I don't like about it is, like, the story came out and, like, the there's, Joan can't defend herself or no. explain anything. Well, and so that's the thing. A lot you're of, only getting one side. Well, yeah. So, like, a lot of, you know, her, Joan's friends had to disputed you know versions of the event you know including like there's a long list of of actors from that time period who are like no that can't be true uh particularly um oh shoot um Mir- Mirna Loy uh who was you know Mirna Loy yeah um who was Joan's friend since 1925 who said that like this this is not true uh she did acknowledged that Joan was highly ambitious and alcoholic for much of her life, but uh, she felt that Christina embellished the the stories, right? And um, the same with um, uh, Douglas uh, Fairbanks, who was uh, Joan Crawford's first husband. He said that, you know, um, the Joan Crawford uh, that was described in Mommy Dearest is not the Joan Crawford that I knew back then, so... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is truth in the narrative. I'm not discounting that. And also, I have not read the book. And from the interviews that I've seen that Christina has done, it's like they're very two very different entities. So what we saw in the movie isn't necessarily what was in the book, at least not to that effect. Um, it could be that Joan, you know, did have issues. But again... You're only getting one side of the story, and I'm not trying to victim blame or anything like that. Um, it's just that, you know, like, it's important when this kind of stuff happens that, like, y- your story's backed up. And there are people that back up Christina's story. It's not like she's, you know, I, I think one person that backed it up was Helen Heyer. I think that was her name. Um, um, who was, like, a neighbor or something. Yeah. That... Um, it's It's in an article that I read, and... I, like, because I tried to do a little bit of research. Well, the so, same with uh, Jones Mildred uh, Pierce co-star, um, Eve Arden. She said that, you know, Jones' parenting abilities and said that she suffered from bipolar and was a good woman in many ways, but also an alcoholic with a violent temper and unfit to be a mother. Yeah, so... We'll never know the whole truth because, as you as you know, the saying goes, there's uh, one side, there's the other side, and then there's the truth. So we only have Christina's biased opinion. And I'm not saying that she's lying. Um, some of it might not add up. But I do think that whatever happened in Christina's childhood, there was a lot of resentment towards her mother for it. And I think the, you know, being disinherited was also you know, that nail in the coffin that made her write the book, right? Yeah, especially if they were actually getting on. Because in interviews I've seen of her, she talks about how the closest she and her mother were was after she moved out of the house. Yeah. And so she was, like, almost dumbstruck when she found out that the language in the bill from the early 60s when it was put in, from the will when it was put in in the early 60s had stayed there, despite her reconciliation with her mother. So. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, it's very strange. Um, now I watched, uh, I, I did watch an interview with Christina, uh, and Larry King live, right. Um, from, I want to say 2001. Uh, and mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I just, uh, I'm not saying that I think that she was like a liar, but she did have some of like the way she acted did seem like she was, you know, lying about some things. And that's yeah, and just then there's also I read an article from The Guardian where I can't remember it was after the Larry King thing. And the author of The Guardian was like, you know, she seemed very sincere in what she was talking about. And there was this one particular point in the interview where he asked her a question. It's like she tried not to cry about it, but I can't remember what it was to save my life. Um, that that interview also talks about some Joan stuff backstory. What it mentions is Joan Crawford actually had a history, had a very torrid history with love affairs and stuff. Like she had four marriages. Um, she had love affairs with men and with women, including Marilyn Monroe. She had a one night stand with. Really? So. Uh, she she was a woman that was unafraid of her sexuality, which probably didn't grant her any favors, you know, in the long run, at least in that era. Well, exactly. Um, especially, then again, like, we don't know only because they're, you know, it's a who's, you know, she said, she, or he said, she said, right? But, you know, here's this woman who is bisexual, right? And mm-hmm. very free and, um, you know, living at that point like kind of her best life i guess but you know there's also she's she has issues with being you know troubled too yeah um now christina also said in one interview that after she saw the movie that her mother didn't deserve faye dunaway's performance (laughs) and it was ludicrous and that she didn't see any care for, for the facts uh, and she also said, now that I've seen it, I'm sorry I did. Faye says she's being haunted by my mother's ghost after her performance. I can understand why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I mean, poor it... Faye Dunaway. She, that's what gets me about it. I think that's what I find funny. Not necessarily the movie, but the fact that Faye put her entire heart and soul into this role because she knew that it was going to be an Oscar-winning performance, and then it was terrible. (laughs) Well, I sometimes... Do you think that's what actually fucked her up during that um, announcing the wrong one uh, at the Oscars? (laughs) It might have been. I think, honestly, she just... I honestly think that she just, um, you know... (laughs) She really thought that it was her break, and she might have overanalyzed it. You know, like, when you overthink stuff, like, you end up fucking it up worse. I honestly think that's what she did for this role. Yeah. And then she goes and says that it, uh, the winner of the best picture was something, and it was Moonlight instead. Oh, yeah, it was La La Land. Or she said she La, 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 La Land, Land, and it was Moonlight. And it was Moonlight. <laughs> and it was like... I don't know how you fucked that up. They look nothing alike on paper. So, oh, well, she messed it up. <laughs> oh well, I mean, uh, you know, she got she got like a little bit of uh, a little bit of her time right <laughs> in the yeah. spotlight. So, yeah, this is also one of those movies where you have participation screenings. You know, like 
audience would flock to with their Ajax cleaner and wire hangers to actively participate in the film the same way like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, people have those private screenings where they dress up and lip sync and do all that weird, crazy shit, you know? Yeah. So... Sorry, drag performances? I guess that's, like, what this movie did. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show is its own kettle of fish I don't feel like getting into today. Um, So, I guess... Well, Well, Christina has been... has appeared at readings... Uh, with a drag entertainer um, called uh, Lipsinka. Nice. Yeah, so who... So, I mean, like, yeah, there's... This became one occult classic and also, like, kind of a gay, iconic sort of thing. And Which like is people, weird. Yeah, well, like, I mean, it's Must been... Must have been that makeup, boy. I tell you what, that makeup was on fleek. <laughs> Don't ever say that again, please. I'm never. I'm not. That was my one-time use. Yeah. <laughs> Those eyebrows, though. Those eyebrows. No, uh, the, you know what, though? Like, uh, one of the things that they did say was, um, I guess when Dunaway had walked on set for Mommy Dearest the first time, uh, some of the people who had worked with Joan Crawford before said uh, it was like seeing Joan herself back from the dead. So there's that at least. So the thing was, the makeup was on point for the movie. Everything else was not. <laughs> no. Apparently. Uh, so, tests. Yep. Let's get to them. All right, we have our Bechdel test, which is two named female characters who are having a conversation on screen about something other than a man. This happens several times between <coughs> Christina and Joan. Yeah. So it's a pass. Then you have the racial Bechdel test, which is two people of color having a conversation on screen about something other than a white person. This does not happen. There's not a single black person in this movie. There's not a single person of color in this movie. God, no. It's all white people. Yeah. It is snowflake central. <laughs> um, so that also means that the DuVernay test, which is a person of color who has a character arc that is not based on pushing a white character arc's narrative forward, it fails. Yep. Uh, now, Mako Mori test is a female character who has a story arc that does not uh, push a male story arc forward. This is a pass because it's centric to Joan and Christina and their lives and motivations. Um, Sexy lamp test, which is where uh, a named female character can be replaced with a sexy lamp and it not take away from the plot. Um, The reporter had a name. You could take her out. Technical fail. No, Barbara, please don't do this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, like, Carolyn, I think, was vital. I think uh, Joan was vital. Christina was vital. Those were really the three people that, the three, you know, but because that reporter had a damn name. Well, like, <laughs> I don't actually know, um, like, if that actually, like, that occurrence actually happened, though. Like I don't think it did. I don't think it happened like that. It was just a dramatic effect for the storyline. Oh, okay. Because, like, if that had happened, it would have made the books. <laughs> it would have made the tabloids. 
Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so testing is, you know, two out of five. Uh, do I think it's a good movie? No, not really. Is it something that I would watch again? No. <laughs> Did I enjoy it at all? No. <laughs> but it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. No, I'll I say mean that. It was <laughs> It was okay. I mean, this is my second time seeing it, but like meh. The thing I feel about it is it's one of those movies that it's like it's based off of a real person, but we don't know if it was necessarily true. Right? And I mean This is a biopic that takes a ton of liberties. It's like those horror movies that say based on a true story when like the only thing that's based on a true story is like they say this doll is haunted. We don't know if it's true or not, but then they make a whole story about how the doll is actually haunted. You know? Annabelle's <laughs> not haunted? That's what it kind of reminded me of. Huh? Annabelle's not haunted? I don't fucking know. Zach, Zach Bagans touched it, and, like, people lost their fucking shit over it. It was Fuck. great. Boy, they were even. eating their own there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Pe- uh, people Zach in, like, ghost Bagans circles. Zach trash. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> No, like, people in the ghost sort of circles or whatever, like, I get it, because, like, I love that shit, too, but I kind of like the history side of it, but, like, man, they are some fucked up people sometimes. I'm sorry. Like, I love a good ghost story, because, like, it is it is pure trash, and, like, my, you know, maybe my I've seen ghosts, My favorite ones are the ones but... where the, they're so extra about the shit, you know? Oh, like, God. when you watch... Like, the first one I remember... This is off-topic, but we're done talking about the movie anyway. Yeah. The first uh, paranormal thing that I remember watching was Most Haunted with Yvette. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the last name. But, like, Most Haunted was this place where they did, like, British castles and stuff. Oh, and, like, shit, I remember that one. House. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like they'd that have that scary voice. Oh no, that was the other one with Linda Belair. I was like, Ehh. yeah, ah, oh, the scariest places on earth. Oh my god, that was the most fakest shit ever. Oh my god, they would have families go to the scary places on earth, and it'd be like, oh, I'm so scared. It was basically watching the Blair that? fucking witch project, but like that was like the start of reality TV, right? Okay. It really was one of the but like one of the, the one of show it. that gets me every time, and I like, I I love it. I secretly love it just because the history is so interesting. But like, I can't with it, and I'm just gonna go on a rant because like the Dead Files. Okay, so I'm sorry, but they get this girl with the greasiest fucking hair ever who goes into the thing, and like her husband is just like, okay, so like I put all the pictures down and I went and I cleansed the house so that she knows absolutely nothing, right? And then she goes through the house, and you're basically watching a show where she's just like, oh, I see this, I see that. Uh, no, I don't like that. I don't like that very much. And he's like, describe it to the camera. And she's like, oh, no, I'm scared. There's a man over there. Like, she's having a paranoid, schizophrenic fucking freak out here. And we're watching it thinking she is seeing some ghosts. Like, what is going on? Which, like, 
it's kind of fun in a weird way, especially when they like bring the detective who like goes and like actually does the research and stuff. Like I enjoyed that part, but her going through that fucking house and like describing her what's going on and like it doesn't even and then after it all up, like they're supposed to come together and like, you know, show that they both have like separate evidence because they never talked at all. But like the sure. worst. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the worst fucking thing about this goddamn show is at the end, she gives the stupidest fucking advice to people. And then like at after she gives the advice, like there was one where they I couldn't I couldn't fucking believe it because I was like what a ghost psychiatrist what the fuck are you talking about Amy what are you fucking talking <laughs> oh, about what a fucking ghost psychiatrist anybody like where do you find a ghost psychiatrist like are you kidding me um hello that's what Casper did yeah but like oh, oh my fucking god like and there was like this Does this other exist? that's amazing no they I don't find one no, they do not. Are you kidding me? A ghost therapist? That is fucking bull actual shit. Like, could you imagine trying to find a therapist to be a ghost there? Like, no, that is not happening. I don't and, like, know. I, I don't know if Dead Files is worse or Ghost Adventures is worse. Like, Ghost Adventures used to not be so bad. Like, I used to really love watching it. But now I guilty pleasure watch it because it's like so much fun to see Zach be so fucking extra about everything. Like they did this one where they like investigated some park amusement park in Oregon and it had some creepy ass like fairy tale creatures or whatever. And it's like, what if this place is haunted because these kids actually think that the witch is real? fucking no dude you're being too goddamn extra but like yeah and there was like something else like i think from that episode like of the dead files at the end it had like in the little credits they were like this two couple that like she gave the advice to didn't do what she said and it's like of course they didn't fucking do what she said because she's fucking insane like how do you how do you find a ghost therapist or whatever there was like different kinds of things that she would like give advice that was so impractical that it's like no Amy you if you like bless some shit or like throw some holy water or salt or whatever but like don't fucking give people bad advice that just doesn't work I guess yeah, oh, what you guys don't understand is this is one of the podcast ideas that we had was to basically shit on paranormal shows, but we knew that it didn't have that much longevity. No. So, so we had to do a rant about it at some point. So yeah. we apologize. Yeah. So <laughs> in, in total, um, I don't know, maybe we'll come out with that episode sometime, like during like, you know, an extra sort of fun thing. Be like the lost episodes of the feminist critique where we talk <laughs> about bullshit from the year before we started i know uh, we had some okay. bad ideas deadly divas yeah. what <laughs> that's what we were gonna call ourselves oh, okay so links uh you can contact us on our facebook page the facebook.com slash the feminist critique we have a patreon just look up the feminist critique I'm in desperate need of a microphone, you guys, and you can only you can only, you can you can donate a dollar. You can donate a dollar. I'm just kidding. Don't don't give us money unless you really like you know want to. Like 
Yeah. No obligation. Um, uh, you can Suck find me for a at Twitter, on Twitter at Sorry. South of Grace. And so uh, our Gmail is the Feminist Critique Podcast at gmail.com. Okay. And we're also on Twitter um, at Feminist Critique without the E at the end. I am also on Twitter and Instagram as Ajlene's, A-I-S-L-E-N-E-S. And then, uh, I don't know if you want to check out, like, my workplace website, it's uh, kicks.fm. You can listen to me talk about whatever the heck during my day job, uh, Monday to Friday, so. And uh, we are on Tumblr, too, as the-feminist-critique. The oh, okay. Dash podcast. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so the dash <laughs> feminist dash critique dash podcast. I think so. I might be wrong. I'll put it in the description of this episode. You better. Okay. My life has been too busy to update it. Um, and next week, to finish off our guilty pleasures. So I wouldn't call any of what we're doing next week a pleasure. We're doing the room. And it's all Ageline's fault. God, she's really mad at me. She's like, put it at the end so she's like, can hold off as soon as possible. But she's going to watch it. She's going to end up loving it. Oh, God, I doubt it very seriously. I doubt it. Um, Oh, hi, Mark. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing me, Lisa. (laughs) I think. I don't know. I don't actually know if that's like, it's got some pretty great quotes. I heard it had some pretty awful sex scenes too so we'll see yes. won't we yes. um alright you guys we'll see you next week have I a love good bad one sex scenes. bye you're just like my real <laughs> life anyways bye guys bye